Tanaka's dead. What? Mr. Clucks got hit by a meteor. Or an asteroid. I don't know the difference, but it's gone. That's crazy. It's not crazy. It's lottery money. The numbers are cursed. And now Trisha Tanaka's dead and her camera dude, and it's all my fault. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 310, entitled Trisha Tanaka is Dead. This is the 59th hour of the series, and there are 62 to go. With that, let's head straight into the Wikipedia summary for the episode, which starts with flashbacks, where young Hurley joins his father, David Reyes, over an old Camaro that they want to repair. It won't start, however and David assures him good things happen when you believe they will, and that in this world you have to make your own luck. While leaving for Las Vegas, David gives Hurley a chocolate bar and promises to return soon. In later flashbacks, adult Hurley watches as his new Mr. Cluck's chicken restaurant gets hit by a meteorite, killing those inside, including Trisha Tanaka, the newswoman who just interviewed him about his lottery winnings. Hurley arrives home, telling his mother his intent to go to Australia to end the bad luck curse that was bestowed upon him after he won the lottery. She tries to disprove the curse by revealing his father has returned to them after 17 years. Suspecting his father only wanted the lottery money, Hurley reacts angrily. David brings his son to a tarot card reader, who tells Hurley she can remove the curse before admitting that David paid her to say this. Hurley vows to give her to give the money away and begins packing for Australia. David acknowledges he just returned for the money, but approves of Hurley's decision and promises he will be waiting for him when Hurley gets back. On the island, Hurley sorrowfully speaks to Libby's grave about what happened to Jack, Kate, and Sawyer after they were taken by the others. Hurley learns that Charlie believes that Desmond sees visions of Charlie's death. Hurley believes this and tells Charlie that he thinks he brings bad luck, referring to himself. Vincent the dog shows up with a mummified human arm, leading Hurley to a Volkswagen camper van on its side underneath foliage. Inside is a skeleton wearing a Dharma Initiative jumpsuit, sporting the name Roger on its chest and the Swan Station's logo. On the beach, Hurley's requests for help are turned down. Jin, who doesn't understand what Hurley is saying, is roped into helping fix the van. Hurley finds Beer, as well as Sawyer, who has just returned. He learns from Sawyer that he and Kate escaped, but Jack is still a prisoner. Hurley is very optimistic and volunteers Sawyer to help him fix the van. Meanwhile, Desmond refuses to tell Charlie when he will die. Kate informs Saeed of all she knows about the others, then leaves, saying she's going to get help to rescue Jack, but she won't say from whom. Hurley, Jin, and Sawyer raid the van and find maps and beer. Meanwhile, Hurley tells Charlie to stop moping and help him start the car, saying that he might die doing it, but they make their own luck, face death, and possibly win. Hurley convinces the others to push the van to a slope in order to get it started. Despite Sawyer's warnings, Hurley goes through with his plan. Charlie declares victory or death, 
and rides with Hurley as Sawyer and Jin push the vehicle down the steep hill. At first it looks as though they will crash, but the van starts just in time. Later the entire group enjoys a ride. Hurley is later left with the van and continues driving. Jin gives Son a flower, Charlie talks with Claire, and Sawyer brings some beer for Kate and finds that she isn't around. Meanwhile, Kate meets up with Locke and Saeed on her way to find Danielle Rousseau, who she hopes she will get help from. Locke reveals he has a compass reading for Mr. Echo's stick. Kate's recruiting of Rousseau seems to fail until she mentions her suspicions about Alex, who helps Kate escape, being, of course, Rousseau's daughter. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. I really like, uh, first of all, I like, I like this episode, as I think most of us do. It certainly is a fun episode. It's a tad on the light side. I don't think to any great, uh, you know, to any great um, uh, kind of, you know, negativity of the episode. Uh, slightly lighter fare. That said, we've had, you know, heavy, heavy stuff as of late, and we're coming off of the atrocious uh, episode from last week. So it's all it's all fair enough. It's all good fun, and um, what is most pleasurable about the episode is that we finally are back to getting multiple storylines uh, going on. We have Hurley and his episode of the week. We have Sawyer and Kate integrating back into camp and sharing some of the concerns with the larger uh, story arc of the season. We have kind of this new. Uh, uh, smaller story arc of you know apparently Charlie will die of course we know that he does but kind of a you know a second half of the season story um, so there's there's a lot of uh, you know a lot going on in this episode and uh, they handle it well we're not stuck at the stupid hydra station in the bear cages and the under the sea uh, prison etc about this episode in particular, or about the beginning anyway, I like that we open in flashback. No previously on, no recap, just story. Down to a shaggy-haired, Hispanic-looking kid, who clearly is Hurley. I will mention that uh, the name of the actor who plays him, I saw on Wikipedia, was Caden. Uh, I probably butchered that. To me, it looks a bit, uh, whether it's Hawaiian or Southeast Asian, does not sound particularly Hispanic, so I don't know if they just went with a kid whose features worked well uh, with the character, but um, it uh, it certainly is not, well, I can't say certainly, but some interesting casting there on the, the part of the kid. Certainly he looks like a young Hurley. Uh, it's also nice to see Cheech Marine as the dad as well, the dad David. Uh, it always struck me as a, a bit of a casting coup for the show. It's 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 nice. Yeah, you, know, you could get any any Hispanic gentleman to play uh, to play Hurley's somewhat deadbeat dad. You get Cheech Marine; it all works out well. Uh, certainly in the flashback, he comes off as a good dad, down to telling his son that in this world you make your own luck. Uh, it's also some really smart writing on the part of the show to have uh, the dad throw in a few dudes to his son. Of course, language that Hurley will go on and use, uh, as well as giving uh, the giving of a secret candy bar to the son, who of course will battle food in the years to come. The flashback concludes, unsurprisingly, I think, with dad driving off, mom watching mournfully from the window, and young Hurley filling the hole in his heart with candy. 
It's absolutely well done. It continues with Island Hurley recounting, as part of the story, uh, all that has gone from the end of Season 2 until now. Again, you know, I, I complain pretty bitterly when there's uh, unnecessary, or not even unnecessary, when there's forced recap within an episode when characters turn to each other and say, do you remember how two hours ago you told me this, which was in another episode, but now I'm repeating it for the audience. Let's go do this. Um, why is he doing this? It appears that he's talking to a crowd at first, you know, addressing the assembled. Uh as the camera moves in, the scene certainly feels more intimate, and the audience starts to figure out, uh, well, who his audience is. So then the others take the bags off our heads, and we're like on the other side of the island. And they take Jack, Kate, and Sawyer someplace, and they send me back to want everyone to stay away, which I did. And now everyone's freaked out. With them gone and what happened to Echo, they're all scared. And I'm scared. But then I've been scared most of my time here anyway. Except when I'm with you. The scene ends with a a wonderful shot of Hurley lit from behind by the sun as he puts a flower on Libby's grave. This is where the rest of the season, in my opinion, should have started after the fall break. This is where we should have come back uh, from with this sort of back at the beach, back with one of the most beloved characters. It's also a reminder, too, you know, it's something that I've said before, but it's a reminder that Libby is his soulmate for a reason. She's just in a, in a handful of episodes, uh, perhaps 10 as a member of the cast, or, you know, 10 on screen, perhaps, we'll, we'll put the number at. Um, less than that with Hurley, just really the one to kind of sell their romance, but... Uh, Boy, is it, boy, is it powerful. What, you know, a a credit to both actors. And here, you know, her performance lives on, though the character does not. Uh, Speaking of moving on, continuing on, the story does that. Uh, We see Charlie shaving and recounting his foreshadowed death via Desmond. It's rather unnecessary recounting here, given that it's been just a handful of episodes since that story was told. You know, I wonder if this was meant to be the return after this 13-week break and somehow the Hydra stuff just got out of got out of hand a bit and it turned into nine episodes instead of six. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I certainly haven't read that, but, you know, that, there, there are many ills with, with season three. And uh, particularly the first half, perhaps that's just another one of them. But we, of course, are kind of in this, you know, we're in this, um, we're in this position now where that's less and less of a concern. You know, if you watched it when the show was on, then you have these memories of 
disappointing episodes in season three. You watch it now and you say, oh, no, that one wasn't as good as the others. On to the next one, which is something that we would have killed for back uh, back when the show was on. Uh, anyhow, um, the we see the comedy team of Hurley and Charlie. And then uh, that turns from Hurley saying he attracts death to Vincent appearing with a rotted arm, complete with a rabbit's foot keychain and key on it. Symbolism, symbolism, symbolism. And timing as well, I suppose. Hurley takes off after the dog, complete with his kind of jaunty, silly tune. Which normally tells us that jaunty, silly things are going to come from the clown of Lost. I, of course, you know, always think that this is... uh, It's not that it's a misuse of the character or the actor. It's just not the best use. This is somebody that, because of his frailties, because of his meager beginnings, because he's still living with mom, despite the fact that he's uh, in a mansion now, uh, because of all this where he still is kind of perpetually 22... Um, and perpetually unsure of what to do with his life, despite the fact that he owns a box company and owns, uh, you know, uh, the Mr. Clucks, what I'm assuming is a chain, and owns all, you know, despite all this thing, this empire of his, which can be his vocation, he still kind of has none. That's a character that we can sympathize with, not necessarily laugh at, although certainly there are the jokes that we laugh at, but... Again, I think not the best use of him, but oh well, it certainly is effective. I'll, I'll grant you that. Hurley finally catches up uh, to the keychain and to the Vincent ex machina who has you know inserted himself in the story and said, follow me for an important character-building moment of the van. Um, we see that overturned vehicle. As we'll learn, it's Dharma, the van. And of course, it's not just any van. Dot, dot, dot. We'll learn, you know, in future episodes, the fate of this van, which we'll discuss in a bit, because the show then takes us to the title card, then immediately into flashback uh, to Mr. Clucks. Now, it occurred to me while watching this that it seemed that very often, at least for what, we're about to head into the second act here. Second act, I think third act and fourth act all start in flashback. Perhaps there's many episodes that come back from commercial break in flashback uh, multiple times. You know, which is to say from from multiple uh, acts after multiple uh, um, uh, commercial breaks. To me, it was ju- it was it was more noticeable in this episode. I'm not necessarily complaining about it. It just felt a little. Um, but a little different. You know, you go to commercial and you come back and it's kind of a completely different story. It's not, you know, meanwhile, later on down the beach, it's just, I don't know, a bit... Uh, jarring is definitely not the word. Definitely not. But it's just a little... It's it's a different formation of the episode. That's that's all, I suppose. Anyhow, here we are flashbacked uh, to Mr. Clucks. It's a tidy placement uh, of the overall story, as Trisha Tanaka tells us that Hurley has recently won the lottery. So we go, aha, I know when this takes place on the timeline. She tells us that he bought Mr. Clucks and has installed the awesome-named, awful person, Randy Nations, as the manager. And uh, she also recounts his bad luck. 
more recap in the story, by the way. not Again, not a complaint. It's done well in this episode, but here it is again. Also here, kind of anecdotally, to kind of stitch ourselves up to the last chronological flashback, we hear that uh, his friend Johnny has run off with Starla, the friend and prospective girlfriend from Hurley's lotto-winning flashback. Uh, It's a tidy story. It's a tidy little function that Trisha Tanaka plays. It's just in and out, boom, within this real-world uh, you know, situation where the news lady is going to tell the story of this person in, in in twenty seconds, and we get it all. We get all our questions answered. Uh, where is this in the chronology? What happened to the characters that we appreciated last time? So on and so forth. At this point of uh, of course, Trisha Tanaka wants to go inside the restaurant. Hurley is of course concerned about the bad luck of it. Randy, ever the intelligent guy, tells him not to worry, but... Meteor plus restaurant means Trisha Tanaka is dead. Quickest payoff to an episode title yet. With that, the flashback ends, then moves to Hurley, peeking in uh, the Dharma van complete with skeleton, and then finally back to our beach. We're in the kitchen, and Paolo is in uh, in it looking for Dharma O's, and the camera moves to Sun and Jin. She's speaking English, and he is reticent. It's a, you know, it's a functional little scene. I don't want to overuse the word tidy, but it gets the job done, certainly. Um, get to see a little moment there with Paolo, who they're clearly still not quite sure what to do with. Um... A little reminder there of Sun and Jin, how they're progressing as characters. Uh, Hurley appears, all kind of surround him. He gives a speech about fixing the van, which he calls a car, since it's actually his flashback car and daddy issues that he wants to fix, of course. Uh, And everyone, to the last English-speaking man and woman, realizes that they don't need a car or a van. It, it could, that it could never possibly be of any use. Spoiler alert, it becomes of critical use at the end of the season. Always listen to Hurley. People back away and wander off, except for Jin, who is gamely volunteering for what he knows not. The scene then moves to Kate and Sawyer. A uh, brief hurt foot allows for a warm and genuine conversation between the two of them. All Kate wants is an I'm sorry for them to start anew with the promise of lots to come. Sawyer does not oblige uh, within his character. You know, he, he is, of course, unafraid, or rather he's, he's afraid to pursue the love that they started back on Hydra Island. Uh, they finally return to their beach, and the requisite Giacchino montage ends the act, uh, down to Kate watching longingly as Sawyer hugs Nikki. They're, of course, pretending to know each other with the whole Nikki and Paolo business. Anyhow, after the act break, we're in a mansion, and the jaunty music tells us that it's Hurley's mansion, and then, of course, uh, we're in flashback. There's recap as well as other dialogue to place us in the Hurley storyline. He talks of going to Australia to track down Lenny's numbers. Then, the big reveal. Hurley's father has returned! Gasp! And when last we saw him, Hurley was just beginning to 
digest his daddy issues. Get it? Get it? We're obviously supposed to be suspicious. Father gone after 17 years, returns once the lotto is won. But the story moves back to the island where nothing, absolutely nothing, is going on with daddy issues. We see the skeleton of Roger, workman. Oh wait, sorry, this episode actually is about daddy issues because they're everywhere. Not just in flashback, not just in the form of the van, but literally in the van is a formerly walking, formerly talking, now mummified daddy issue in the form of daddy that Ben wanted to kill. He, of course, was ostensibly killed over those daddy issues, and uh, the van is also a symbol of Ben's paternal hatred. That's, of course, for another episode. In this one, Hurley uses it as a sort of paternal redemption. That staggering use of a van, ladies and gentlemen. The show, of course, takes the moment to play it off for comedy. All the better, I think, for us to gasp at the tragedy of it later on. Jokes are made about Roger's arm being gone. Is it too much to relate that his arm is, uh, you know, that that arm is his right arm? Therefore, it's his right hand and son sitting at the right hand of the father and, and all of that. Perhaps that's a bit much, but, you know, worth a quick mention. There's more jokes about how he was going on a beer run and you know, as uh, the van has Dharma, the beer. Uh, Jin pantomimes that he wants to turn the van right side up. Hurley yells, I understand. And once again, Daniel Day Kim earns his paycheck through silently raising an eyebrow for half a second, wondering if the bilingual Hurley realizes that yelling actually does not make English clearer, at least to those who don't speak English. The comedy continues as they pull out, uh, pull out the body of Roger Workman, and the head pops off. They're so dismissive of the dignity of the body, uh, as is the show, as are we. It's a wonderful, guilty little game that the show plays, having us laugh now and become embarrassed later for it. Having now properly settled into the continuous storylines of our beachfront castaways, uh, we drop into Charlie demanding more info uh, about his death from Desmond. Just, just, as we're about to get into a bit more about the nature of Desmond's powers... That's when Sawyer comes in asking about his lost stuff. Booze, supplies, porn. Though there is a mild tinge of recap, it does help bring a few characters together. Des and Charlie point Sawyer to the third stealing member, Hurley. That takes us to the next scene, where Sawyer joins Hurley and Jin at the hippie van, allowing for a heartfelt reunion, a big hug from Hurley, Jorge Garcia acting his best, uh, Jin gamely using some English, and Sawyer getting roped into fixing the van for the promise of beer. It's all happiness. Back at the beach, however, it's all business. Kate debriefing Saeed and Locke about Jack and the Hydrofolk. There's a tad more recap, as well as some pre-cap. They work on the Hydra, they live here, Carl could have helped, but he was set free. Kate has a plan to help him escape from, from, the act ends. After the act break, we're in flashback where Papa and Mama are making nice house with their uh, butlers snapped up from Bennigan's. What a great, great little 
little uh, cute moment there from writers uh, Kitsis and Horowitz. You know that the, their butlers Hurley liked the food so much at the be- the Bennigans that they went to that uh, they hired uh, they hired their butler and lady butler from there. There's discussion about the curse, about Hurley uh, growing Hurley's growing aversion to the money. It's a great scene with comedy. Mama talking about her womanly needs while Hurley covers his ears and screams, "No, no, no!" Mama guilts him into showing Papa uh, what's in the garage, the old car. Papa is happy, but Jacino tells us there's trouble afoot. The flashback ends, and when they get the van over, there's a quick look uh, of a map and a road. Easter egg alert to be discussed in a bit. And Sawyer jumps in the beer. Hurley imbues hope that turning the key will start the very, very old van, which of course is unreasonable. It's been on its side. It's in the woods with all the the moisture, uh, you know, gasoline separates after a couple of months, so on and so forth. So unsurprisingly, nothing happens. And why should it? We're halfway through the episode. Duh. Of course, nothing's going to happen halfway through the episode. Doesn't he know? The scene continues with more lighthearted attention towards Skeletor, a.k.a. Roger Workman. Or as Sawyer points out, it's Workman, a job title for a janitor. Hurley mentions that they should have more respect as surely he had a family. The comment, of course, glides past for first-time viewers. For the rest of us, we know that the sad, angry, bitter man uh, whose face was once on those bones is someone that we might hate, we might sympathize with him. We regret how he dies, though, at the hand of his, of his own son. I just love the irony that this is an episode about two fathers. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I know that there have been times before, uh, knee-deep in this episode as I am, I cannot conjure it up, but there was an episode, I think, from season two. Oh, what was it? But I, I, where there kind of is this back and forth of, in oh, it's only in retrospect that you realize that we're talking about two of these, in this case, two fathers. It's just it's really, really nice. I have no idea if it was intended, but boy, it boy, it works out well. The van, of course, back to that. It's apparently unfixable, and Hurley talks of needing hope. The act ends with Sawyer saying there is no hope on the island. After the break, we're in flashback again, where Hurley is woken up while wearing big headphones, like he had in season one. And Papa uh, wakes him up to try and break the curse, saying that Hurley will be able to go to Australia soon. A further reminder that those probably were the headphones that we saw during the course of Season 1. Of course, though, we uh, don't head there right away. They have to go visit a psychic. It's the standard mumbo-jumbo at first, but not for long. You've recently come into a great deal of money. Could have seen that on the news. But it hasn't brought you happiness. No. It's brought you great misfortune. She didn't see that on the news. I'm seeing numbers. What numbers? Four. 
There's darkness around these numbers. Great tragedy. I'm... I'm sorry. What? What is it? Death. It surrounds you. And... War is coming. Your hands. Please. There's a curse on you. But it can be removed. Now, Hugo, I need you to remove your clothes. My clothes? A curse is like an unwelcome entity that lives inside you. And it must be exercised. My dad put you up to this? It's a fun little scene. It really is. Um, unsurprising that the dad, you know, especially in retrospect, knowing that uh, that the dad showed up initially for the money. You know, of course, he's going to try and convince Hurley to keep all the money. Um, it, it's also nice, too. I mean, it, it's a bit undercutting as it takes away kind of the magic of our numbers just a tad as some example of folly. But, you know, on the flip side, there is something to the numbers there is a certain uh i mean i don't, don't want to say magic in kind of a top hat and uh you know bunny sense but there is a certain weight to the numbers um so you know the fact that this uh pomp and circumstance is an attempt to uh to undercut that weight you know it it, it works out well certainly we flash back over Island Hurley is praying for a sign while Sawyer teaches Jin the basics of English, starting with beer. Sawyer throws Hurley a beer, which misses, and rolls conveniently down a conveniently placed hill that just happens to be on the other side, the other side of those vines that you conveniently can't see through to see that convenient hill. Did I mention it was convenient? Uh, you can see the... See the writer's hand here in that scene, if you don't get my point. Um, Hurley looks down the hill, uh, and then the scene shifts to Hurley recruiting Mopey Charlie to make his own luck and get the van started. It's obviously quite a symbol. Failed fatherhood, a son's love, island redemption. Back at the van, there's a there's a lovely little scene where Sawyer's teaching Jin to say, to, to say quote, the three things you need to say to a woman, including, no, those jeans don't make you look fat. That's when Hurley arrives with Charlie. You know, for such a for such a busy episode, I don't mean busy in a bad way, but considering all that's going on, Kate returning to camp, starting the ball rolling for uh, collecting, um, collecting Jack, the little hint at the end about, you know, Rousseau being involved to a, to a redemptive degree on her part. Sawyer reintegrating Hurley's own story, Hurley's flashback. It's nice that we have these moments where Sawyer and Jin can just sit there and kind of shoot the breeze. It's nice. Um, there's a notable moment, too, when, uh, you know, Sawyer kind of won't get off his duff uh, and throws a, uh, a nickname at Hurley. Hurley tries to nickname Sawyer back with, 
redneck man. Sawyer actually looked very, very impressed. Have we ever seen a time where somebody tried to, uh, you know, nickname Sawyer back? No. He's somebody who kind of operates, it's by his own rules, but if you operate on those rules too, he respects you for it. With that, there's a quick cut from his impressment to uh, the four pushing the van. I love, too, that uh, that the three get it rolling and then Hurley is on his own, albeit for about 20 feet at the edge of the hill. Kind of this little little moment of independence here for uh, for old Hurley. The, uh, the jaunty music uh, ends and uh, the true pitch of the hill tells us, along with the music, that there's serious business afoot. With that, the act ends. Afterward, we're in flashback again, and Dad gives a heart-to-heart as Hurley prepares to go to Australia. When your mom called me about the lottery, (laughs) I was on my bike before she could hang the phone up. I'm getting old. Yeah, I saw my retirement. You're right. I'm here for the money. Well, you're not getting any of it. Well, that's not why I'm here talking to you now. I'm here talking to you now because going to Australia is not going to break any curse. You don't need to leave. You just... You need a little hope. We make our own luck, Hugo. You know what I think you should do? What? I think you should give away the money. All of it. Every penny. Save enough for a new carburetor. Work on the Camaro. You know, just you and me. Take it off the blocks and make that road trip to the Grand Canyon. Never too late for a fresh start. Never too late for a fresh start. I rather like that, especially with sweet Hurley. And, you know, here dad is being a great dad. He's he's there and he's being a great dad, dispensing fatherly wisdom. And as we learned in a previous scene, husbandly love of a sort anyway. I like, too, that dad ends the scene by saying that he'll be there when Hurley gets back. Something not, not played in the clip you just heard. Which, post-Oceanic 6, is true. It's nice. It's 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 tremendously charming to know that despite all the other more important things going on in this episode, we do have a little character arc from this this father, David Reyes, who is is um on his own little little journey. He comes for the money, he stays for the family, he sticks around for the family, and that's that's nice. That's really nice. And, I mean, a tad sad, too, considering, you know, Hurley Hurley leaves, at least for some stretch. Um, you know, kind of post, post-show, post I, I suppose Hurley could bop back and forth from the island to the, the rest of the world, as we saw Jacob did. But, you know, it's not it's not some future as we imagine, you know, those getting off on the, uh, on the, uh, the plane at the end of the series, you know, we don't. Uh, you know, they kind of go back to some sort of life of theirs. We, we don't particularly man, uh, imagine that happening for Hurley. But anyhow, after the flashback, 
peril is laid out for the van plan. Impossible. Rocks. Crash. Death. This we are told, and Sawyer and Jane agree about all of it. Charlie stares death in the face, though, and says that he'll ride shotgun. Push! happy moment, albeit one that we can ultimately see is coming. I mean, killed Pearlie and Charlie in the van? Never. Also, it's a moment to reinforce the positive nature of the character and the show. Uh, as affirming of life, as, as, as a wonderful, um, you know, wonderful statement about things working out. Uh, it's, it's obviously a happy scene. You hear them hooting and hollering in the back there. It's it, it's nice. It's well earned after quite a slog for the first nine episodes. This being the tenth of the season, uh, the clip ends with a Jacino slow montage as the triumphant men return. Jin giving a flower to Sun, Charlie returning to Claire, Sawyer with a case of beer, not finding Kate, and Hurley riding off into the sunset. It's a great return for Sawyer, who mournfully looks at the couples around him of sadness and jealousy. Ah, well, his look says, back to that gruff exterior. The episode proper ends here, with Hurley's uh, flashback completed and the van adventure having been taken care of. In what is essentially an epilogue, uh, Kate is alone in the jungle looking for Rousseau. The hint is that she finds the net of caught in a net fame. Locke and Saeed come across her, asking why she didn't come to them for help. Two reasons. You don't know how to look and you're not motivated. And I don't blame you. Why would you want to go on another trek across the island, risk more lives just to get Jack back? You're wrong. Oh, really? Then why didn't you come out? Not about the motivation, just about knowing where to look. we got a compass bearing, and I'm pretty sure if we follow it, it'll lead us right to him. How? Because of the way the sunlight hit Mr. Echo's stick when John was burying him. So now you know our secret. How about you tell us yours? No, 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 don't shoot. Don't shoot. It's all right. It's safe. We're just here to talk. You can come out. There's a number of things that I like about this scene. I love that Saeed is vaguely dismissive of Locke's message uh, from fate slash God slash echo slash the island for help. I also enjoy that the the epilogue acts as a means of some sort of momentum for the episodes to come, 
since it's Rousseau who's shooting, and it's Rousseau who now walks up and appears. What are you doing here? I came to ask for your help. To do what? I'm heading to the other's camp, and if I'm going to find it, I need someone who knows the island. What makes you think I have an interest in helping you? Because they had me, and they would have never let me go. Probably would have killed me if I hadn't escaped. And the girl will help me escape. She was about 16 years old. And her name was Alex. I'm pretty sure that she's your daughter. That's one hell of a way to end an episode. That's a hell of a sense of momentum uh, where we kind of have all the pieces finally coming together. Rousseau introduced season one. Alex, seen on screen in season two. Coming soon, you know, coming together to, uh, to this wonderful show called Lost. So that, of course, is how the episode ends. Let's take a look now at Lostpedia to see what bits and pieces I have missed. Uh, they note that the scene in which the van is pushed down the hill appears to make use of rather extreme camera angles to increase the apparent steepness of the slope. Uh, the angle at which Sawyer and Jin are standing, as well as that of the mountains in the backgrounds, help make this more noticeable. They also say concerning that map, uh, the road that the map depicted was not just a plan, but was actually built uh, as Carlton Cuse uh, stated in, in an interview. The purpose, he, he said, the purpose of that map was just to establish that basically there was at one point a road that linked the Dharma stations, but with 25 years of jungle growth, those roads have become overgrown. Lostpedia also says the scene of the meteorite hitting Mr. Clucks was named by Kevin Blank as the single biggest, most expensive shot the show has ever done. They also say this episode marks the first appearance of Cheech Marine as David Reyes. Additionally, Roger Linus is seen, of course, as a mostly decomposed corpse prop. Penultimately, they say that the beer cans in the van uh, have one of the newer type litter-free ring poles. Confronted with this apparent error, the producers joked that the Dharma Initiative invented the ring poles. Manufacturers actually used these ring poles since at least 1990, so Dharma could have uh, certainly used them in uh, uh, during uh, the 1992 purge, says Lostpedia. Last but not least, in something that gave me a little giggle here, TV news reporter Trisha Tanaka is a reference to Asian reporter Trisha Takanawa from the popular Fox cartoon sitcom Family Guy. So there you go, from the highest of highs from television culture, the lowest of lows let's now look ahead to next week which is episode 311 entitled enter 77 a saeed episode so we certainly have that to look forward to you can share feedback uh by saying hello to me on twitter at looking back lost leaving a message on the listener line 732-707-1815 sending sending an email to looking back at lost at gmail.com or leaving a comment on looking back at lost.podbean.com so thank you very much for listening once again. It's uh, very nice to be back in uh, some of these brighter, 
springier, more episodes. Certainly uh, also as brightness and spring only continues in my neck of the woods and hopefully in yours too. Unless, of course, you're living in the Southern Hemisphere in which, hey, fall is coming. Yippee. So anyhow, with that, everybody, thank you once again for listening. Talk to you all again next week for Enter 77. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye. Bye-bye.